everyone. This is Marshall Klippenstein with SAP Concur again today. And with us for this podcast uh, event is Kathy Nolfo of Huron Group. And um, actually, Kath, why don't you introduce yourself? Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. So as you said, I am with Huron and a director within our spend management practice, uh, specifically focusing on T&E and AP automation. Um, so we have been doing this for a long time from a business process perspective and partnership with Concur for a very long time. But really my role and goals within the organization is to continuing educating our, our groups on what are the trends happening within travel and expense, what has the pandemic done to the industry and how does those industry impacts then bubble up to organizations and impact their travel policies and initiatives and so forth. So I have a little bit of a hybrid role here and that's one of the areas that I focus on. Wow. And how long has Huron been a partner? For, you said a long time, how long? Yeah, so our partnership actually goes back unofficially since about 2010. Okay, okay. Um, we did our official you know, pen to ink type partnership in 2012. Okay. Great. Well, and you guys have obviously some industry focuses, which I'm sure we'll get into throughout the, the conversation. But so quickly, I'll just introduce myself. It's Marcel Klippenstein again. I'm the VP of our value experience group. And I love hosting these podcasts. I love having just this open dialogue. So I hope you, the listeners, enjoy these topics. We're going to walk through or kind of just discuss the state of the state. I mean, it is not, it's not shocking that, you know, that the world is starting to open back up. We have a new state of business travel to look forward to. I don't know about you, Kathy, but I was seeing the holiday travel for leisure was definitely ticked up. So it's starting to really, I don't know, if the terms get back to normal. It's kind of a new normal, the next version of our programs we need to start looking at. So with that, you know, listeners, we're going to kind of talk about a couple of specific topics that I think we as SAP Concur and as Huron, you know, might be of interest to you. And, and it's time to start having the dialogue with your cross-functional team members too, to look at how this is going to impact your business, right? So with that said, how about, I don't know, Kathy, what would be your kind of your perspective right now of the state of the state in terms of business travel, employee spend management, like how are you seeing it right now? Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing is definitely the desire for resurgence as well, not only a slight uptick in the actual corporate travel, but also just this overall desire that people do want to get back out there mm -hmm. to conduct their business. It's human nature for us to want to interact with people socially and in person. Yeah. And there's definitely has been an impact to organizations less than what we've seen in the past, where if you couldn't go to a location for a trip where sometimes that might have been considered negative against you as a partner or an informality that you thought wasn't important enough, right? So in the past, people saw that as like, mm, not a positive. So you traveled more, right? Mm -hmm. This scenario with the pandemic, everyone went home. So everyone started, you know, working from home and the, the lack of person-to-person -person interactions was very acceptable. But, you know, 13, 14 months later, it's just our human nature to want to get back and start talking to people. And we are seeing that 
from a corporate travel perspective, you know, leisure definitely seeing it already, but from a corporate travel perspective, people do want to start traveling again, as well as people want to start being able to uh, collaborate in person. Now, what does that mean for organizations? And that's where we have to start working with particular organizations and understanding their culture and what's happening within their common travel, like city pairs and things of that nature. But it's just, it's this mindset that it is definitely acceptable to not travel and clients and partners are not holding you to travel, but there's definitely this wanting to travel again. And I think that is a, a big change where people are like, I want to travel now. Not like, oh God, I have to do a business travel trip, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity. I want to get out there again. I need the collaboration too. You're right. Collaboration is such a huge part of how both in a, you know, in a sales capacity or even in a, a strategic, you know, design thinking sessions, internal team meetings, you know, you see so much that comes out of, of those just one day, two day workshops, or you see so much that comes out of that client facing interaction in a sales cycle or in a account management, you know, discussion or something like that. Like that's huge. I agree. 14 months into this and I am definitely ready to get out there. I also noticed too, I was, it's clear like companies are actually starting to bring people back to the office too. So not only do we have, you know, an environment where travelers are, are going to get hit the road, but we also have, you know, people returning to the office to be back in, in the company of other of other humans, right? So I agree with you on how, how you're seeing this right now for sure. But what that lends itself to, right, though, in terms of what are the expectations of employees now? So what are your thoughts around the idea of incorporating employee sentiment and what are your customers doing to engage and bring in that sentiment piece as they design and as they work through the next versions of their programs? Is there any discussion around that out in, in your world right now? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because while there is a desire, there's still fear associated to some of that travel or just concern, I should say. I don't think there's necessarily fear anymore. It's more concern. Um, so there is definitely, you know, understanding how this new world is going to impact the employee, ensuring that there is good and solid, consistent communication to the employee base to have them understand what are their travel requirements, what do they need. If they're doing international travel, what are the requirements from a vaccination perspective? Um, so there's definitely the desire piece, but then there's still definitely that, how do we now manage this world of travel? And, you know, leading up to, to this pandemic, really we saw kind of a shift from corporate travel going from a very managed program to somewhat of a structured unmanaged program where people might book directly with an airline or a hotel provider, but it was linking back to the concurrent booking solution. So there was still that visibility mm -hmm. for the travel managers, right? right. Um, we, are, we are seeing more managed programs becoming tighter again, right? You want to have a little bit more of that visibility. Um, they, they're good with the, you know, like the tripling connection, bringing in that visibility, but they're looking at this more from a duty of care perspective now too, right? Even domestic companies that used to think, well, we don't really have to worry too much about duty of care. We wanna make sure everyone's pretty much safe. We have good policy in place where they're traveling to locations. They have 
adequate spend in order to stay in nicer hotels and safe environments, but you know, not going internationally. So things like a terrorist attack or things like volcano eruptions, all those type of things that might impact travelers and concerns wasn't part of their world, but this was different, right? This affected every country, every organization, didn't matter what industry you were in, and it didn't matter if you were domestic or global. So they're looking at how do we really better manage these programs, not solely from a compliant, how much money you're spending, but really how are we ensuring that our employees are safe? How are we ensuring that they have all the information that they need when they're traveling, even domestically? And how do we continue communication and feedback from our travelers to ensure our programs are successful for them? And this, the one thing that is challenging is that we normally saw disruptors in the world of travel to be kind of like waves, right? You'd have a disruptor that was usually a technology disruptor. They had a time period where you got used to that disruption, things leveled out, you had another disruption, right? Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now in disruption is more of there's a disruption up here at the top of a mountain, then there's straight down. There's not a lot of time to level out before another di- disruption hits. So you don't have that that timing of being able to manage those disruptions like you did in the past. So organizations are looking to get tighter so that they can manage those disruptions at the pace that they're actually coming at them right now. So is that where, like, I mean, we hear about business continuity planning, you know, obviously that affects every function in in the org. But I think you and I have had a couple conversations in the past around this idea of contingency. I mean, human capital is a huge piece of this. Like, this is our workforce. This is our mobile workforce that's that is being supported through these disruptions. And so, what do you, in terms of contingency planning? I think you guys are in that mix right now with some of your customers talking about what does that look like because the disruption is coming so fast. We're going to have something probably come up again in the near future. Like, let's not kid ourselves, right? So how do we plan for that? What are you recommending to customers right now? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we, you know, I think the conversation that we've had in the past is how do you plan for today and for tomorrow at the same time, right? And you have to have that contingency plan in place. So we are working with with our clients around, okay, here's what you're doing today. And here's, here's a successful project, program, Everything's great. Clap, you know, clap for yourself, right? <laughs> but what is going to happen if, if this changes tomorrow? How do we adapt quickly? And that's where we started developing contingency plans around um, outcomes, right? If, if there is a disruption, what is the desired outcome? And how do we put a plan in place to get to the desired outcome? So we kind of are working from both ends in order to come up with the plan that works best for the client. We have to understand that desired outcome is the goal and how do we get to that goal? One of the areas that we are, you know, not necessarily on the travel side, but on the expense side, working with contingency planning is actually putting together a set of audit rules, workflows, messaging, things that typically needs to change in in an environment like that, that's already in place so that when something does occur, they simply have to activate. And the workflows actually are already active. It's already built in, but the actual audit rules that trigger the workflow then just gets turned on. And now everything changes from, from that perspective. So it's, we're looking at it both from the travel side as well as the expense compliance side. 
Okay. So you have, you basically are looking at setting it up functionally to, you know, basically move with the contingency plan like that. And all of that's documented. The teams know, the program managers, any cross-functional stakeholders that care are going to be in the know of what that plan is. That's, I mean, that's business continuity planning at its finest to have it ready for the flip to, you know, the switch to be flipped, right? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. One of the things too, I think that goes into contingency planning or just managing to the disruption is this idea. I don't know about you, but I think I've seen it probably come to life in a couple, well, significant number of conversations lately around this culture of pre-approvals. I don't think you and I, we go back a long time. I don't know if pre-approval has always been like this, not mandated but it wasn't always part of the cultures of our customers' programs. And it was almost like met with resistance and almost like bogging the process down because everybody was moving so fast. So what are your thoughts about this idea of pre-approval being part of the mix now and it being more dominant in program expectations? Absolutely. We've seen a lot of shift in that space. And just to go back, you know, we have known each other for a long time. I think it's been about a decade and we've been really, really successful for 14 year olds, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I think I'm going to stay 29. We have, we've seen absolutely a shift in this and this is one of the spaces that we've actually been innovating on since about 2015, to be quite honest with you, is actually putting more value into the quote unquote concur request process, right? We, obviously there's been certain industries and maybe certain elements of travel that always required pre-trip authorization. And, and we're not talking about the, you know, green, yellow, red light philosophy within the booking tool, which has some inherent approval processes, right? We're actually looking at some of the more complex requirements, right? So we've seen that on that for certain industries and if you're doing international travel, for example, or, you know, if you're looking to have group travel and you are going to be booking travel for group, we've seen that in the past. We're seeing a shift, though, that more organizations are looking at that from a pre-trip perspective to help them with their goals around, um, you know, duty of care, as well as who is traveling and, and so forth, right? Now, one of the the areas that we've been doing more and more with Quest is not just the pre-trip, but we've been working in areas of, okay, we're requesting credit card usage. You know, we put together a card program to help us capture the spend and better manage it, but typically requesting a credit card set outside of the Confer system. Yeah, that's true. You're going straight to the, the card provider. You go straight, right. There's usually an email request or, or a portal request. Or a know, spreadsheet somewhere sheet somewhere. It's a manual process. So we've developed programs around whether it's depending on the card program, what you need. We don't get any, you know, personal information in that process, but is the request of the credit card going through a different workflow process. We've even developed it all the way through to the card issuance. So developing the reports that need to come out of Concur to then work with the issuing bank and the, the client to actually get that data in the right format, the cards are then issued, and you know it's all done within one spot for the end user as well as all the approvers. Okay. So we've been doing that for, like I said, several years now, but we've even expanded into like continuing education. 
certifications, industries that require continual credentialing. Um, so we've built those into requests. And you and I just talked, I think a few weeks ago by how we're starting to see operational needs, mm -hmm. you know, requesting to come into the office, <laughs> request on PPE equipment, request on collaboration time and getting authorization for that, right? Yeah. So we're seeing such a shift of not only new industries wanting to use pre-trip authorization for travel, but also wanting to use concur request for a lot of other areas. And it just makes sense. You don't have to go buy another system now to manage the workflow approval for her, for education or for, you know, scheduling office space and things like that. It's all being done within one system. Yeah. But then what that does though, is it also brings, I mean, when I was managing a program years ago, I, I think I was pretty siloed. I didn't have as many connections or I didn't know that there were other business process areas that could in fact, be supported by the functional nature of this tool. And it's not about just the request module of our solution. It's like th this idea that there are other use cases that can be served up, especially as we look at what the next version of, of these travel programs are or these spend programs are. Um, the same can go for purchasing card. You know, if somebody, if a company has a dominant purchasing card program, pre-approval for that spend in advance is just as important from a budget you know, budgetary control perspective and FP&A gets involved and everything as it is to get pre-approval to go travel somewhere. From a finance perspective, it all matters. Also from a duty of care, I, I do like that um, that you called that out because whereas before I think people met this travel pre-approval with resistance because it was, hey, you don't need to know where I'm going or I don't wanna tell you where I'm going or I don't need your approval because I, I do this all the time. It's now about the safety of the employee. It goes back to the sentiment, right? I think employees want to know that their employers are watching out for them, especially now that that they are going to be, I don't know if it's uncharted waters. It's like we're going out into a different environment than what we had before. So especially international travel. Don't get me wrong. I want to go, but I also want to know that my that I'm protected and that I'm taken care of if something was to happen to me, right? And I can get back home. And I can get back home. Yeah, let's not forget that part. Yeah. And that could change at any time. That goes into your contingency plan, right? Yeah, absolutely. And your duty of care programs, you know, organizations are looking at this differently, but you're exactly right that the employees are looking at this differently. You know, in the past, you're right. Employees were like, it's big brother, right? It's this yeah. oversight that's unnecessary. But I think there just became an understanding that, oh, this is why my company does this is because in the event that something could happen, I, I need support when I'm traveling, right? Or I need information about where I'm traveling to. I need to understand if there's a, a risk associated to that. And a lot of the duty of care partners have actually developed COVID-related modules that are now being plugged into this world as well. So it's... I think there was just a lack of understanding from an employee perspective in the past, because unless you had been, you know, outside or somewhere in Boston when the Boston bomber happened, right? Unless you had been affected by um, an event and you understood what that meant and why your company was doing that. But let's face it, not all of us has been part of that, right? There's a very small population of the 350 million Americans that have actually probably experienced an event like that. So there was a lack of just understanding to why a company was doing those things. 
So now I think there is just a general understanding that there are things that can affect my travel. There are things that can affect my safety and my organization. I work for a great organization because they care enough about me to put these things in place so that they can help me throughout the process. So I think the sentiment has changed more from the employee perspective even than from the actual corporations that have been trying to do a lot of these good things over the last several years. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, and the sentiment gathering is tough. I, you know, there are ways to get that, the right information to get the pulse of the employee base, you know, to understand. And I encourage, I guess you and I both would probably very much encourage anybody listening here today to consider that as you build out or you adjust as you're preparing to return to the next version of this uh, business travel and and employee spend. We can't forget that it's not just a new travel environment. It's also a new decentralized spend environment too, because we're all at home. And unless you're in the office and you're right there with the procurement guy or gal, like it's, you know, it's not the same. So I like to call that part out too. <laughs> okay. So let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit. I think let's get into some specific travel category. I think you and I were crossing some wires. No, we were in line. We weren't actually crossing wires. We were in the same line of thought um, around what's next for travel suppliers and what's dominant, what's, what's not. No, a lot of changes there. Yeah. So what, okay. So let's, do we want to just go into the one that you and I both were already kind of locked and loaded on, which is the car rental world? Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. I think that's something that's really relevant, especially as organizations are looking also to do sustainability programs, right? Alternative to air travel. So this definitely does impact those organizations that are, are looking to do that, which most are. So yeah, let's go ahead. Open okay. It up. So here's the, here's, here's the thought, right? The, I was under the assumption, this was my hypothesis. My hypothesis was that personal car mileage would actually be more dominant than any other mode of transportation, at least in this next 12-month period. What I see um, or what we are seeing in our client data set or in the transactional aggregate of mileage is that our mileage distance per transaction is pretty constant. It's not, it's not changing very much. But what I did see is that our car rental volumes are double-digit growth in the last two quarters. So you and I think you had said, um, or you saw like something around the pricing had changed. I mean, isn't there something that happened with car rentals, their inventory shakeups or something yeah. to that effect? Mm -hmm. So what do you know? What can we share with the listeners about this? Yeah, so there's definitely has been a, a change in what we've seen around um, rental cars. And initially, I just thought to myself, oh my God, this is so crazy. Because I even tried to do a personal booking one time. And, and I think there's really two things I need to answer here for you. First of all is why are we not seeing more mileage on the personal card, right? And I think there's also because I don't want anything to happen to my car right now because because of COVID, you know, my son had my son had an accident back in October, one part that was back ordered and could not be replaced because of COVID held up our entire car for three months. Oh my goodness. So from a personal perspective, do I want to put that wear and tear on my car or the potential of something going wrong with my car in the current environment that we have, right? So I think there's some of that personal, like, I don't want to do that to my car right now because it's my car and I don't want to buy a new one and I don't want to have issues, right? Right. So I think that's why we're seeing then more on the 
car rentals, but we're also seeing more in the car rentals because maybe I'll drive to Arizona for five hours versus catching a plane because I don't want to be exposed to the activities that happen at an airport and an airplane and, and so forth, right? Yeah. So I think that's why you're seeing the increase, the double digit increase that you're seeing on the car rental piece. But then you would think, okay, more, more demand, usually the cost goes down, right? There's more car booking, there's more demand. Cost goes up. Cost goes, cost goes up, up. Right? <laughs> cost goes up, right? Yeah. Which is normal. But what we're seeing is an incremental cost that is more than just a little bit from a demand. And so I did a little investigation on that. And what we found is that during COVID, the travel industry just got so hit, right? And they had a lot of sunk costs into their fleets. So they actually liquidated a lot of their fleets to reduce their actual costs so that they can stay afloat and, you know, pay their employees and do other things that they needed to do. So now the, the bookings are increasing and they haven't necessarily built back up that fleet. Right. right? There, there's a, kind of a, a wait and see. Is this a, is this a fluke that this booking's happening? Is something going to happen again? So your number of cars actually available for rental is actually gone down. So now you have a double whammy. You have a increase in volume over the last two quarters of rentals, but you actually had a decrease of actual inventory to be rented. Yeah. So we've seen using Chicago as a point of reference because it tends to be a more expensive airport to rent a car from, but their airport rental costs and fees and COVID surcharges and all that stuff adds almost $100 to a booking. Per booking. So regardless of the duration of the actual car rental. Yeah. So duration aside, I did see, I think I saw in some of the data I was looking at, we've got about a $70 to $100 delta between the average booking or the average cost of car rental from 19 to what is happening in the last two quarters. So that's, that's right in line with what you were saying about the $100. Well, and then at that point though, and then they're renting the cars longer, at that point do you start now? I think back in the day we would look at it and say, okay, well, is it cheaper to rent a car and drive? Now we're gonna be asking, is it cheaper to fly than it is to drive? That's, that's a crazy change. It is. It is a change. And that's where then it starts impacting sustainability models and things like that. Is we In the past, we used to have a metrics that we would say, okay, if we're revamping someone's travel policy and you have some road warriors that are really putting a lot of mileage, when does it make more sense for them to not use their car for personal mileage reimbursement and also rent a car, right? So we used to look at a metrics around what is that sweet spot for any organization? And and when we've done this, you know, sometimes you'll find someone got reimbursed $40,000 in the year for mileage reimbursement. And you have to think to yourself, well, I could give them a new car every year. So is it better to have a, a company car or is it better to have them rent a car? And there's all different conversations that you have around that. But this, this current situation is going to impact us in a short term. So how do you have a contingency plan in place to manage that in the short term? And then how do you shift back to what your normal policies may be around car rentals when the inventory of car rentals go up again? So it's, it's, a, it's a complex conversation now where it used to be a very simple conversation. Yeah. So what that actually brings up a good point. So one of the things I think our customers are grappling with is what do I need to change? What areas of my policy, what areas of my program do I really need to look at? So do you have like two or three major 
categories or major focus areas that you would advise the customers listening here on what they should really start to look at as part of the contingency plan or what's kind of the normal adjustments you're seeing happen right now? Car rental obviously is one of them or like that piece of the policy. What else? Pre-approval? I don't know. What are the top three? We talked about pre-approval. We talked about car rental. Another area that's not directly related to, to travel, but it's so important right now is actually managing the home office environment. Oh, and good point. All the expenditures that are going to home office and, you know, we never used to pay people cell phone bills, but now we're looking at this and we're just letting people submit their cell phone bills. And we know that that can be astronomical because a lot of times cell phone bills could have their family pack on there, you know, and how yeah. do you do that? So looking at managing the home office expenditures and policies and procedures is another area that we're working with organizations and, and really coming up with what works best for their culture and their workforce. Now, this is an expenditure that in the past, most organizations might've done for a percentage of their workforce. Right. They have a small percentage that would work out of their homes and that would be a, the, the constant road area, right? Well, now you have almost your entire workforce working from home and that spend you know, it might go through a central procurement process. It might go through expense reports. It might go on a corporate card. It might go on a personal card. There's just a lot of variables there that we are working with organizations to help manage that piece of it as well. Well, and then add to that the contingency plan where I think what we'll see is flex work environments. The, the work from the office if you want, the work from home if you want, the work from anywhere if you want. I mean, I work from anywhere and I love it. I, I, that's what I hope I can continue to do. Therefore, my spend behaviors and whatnot need to be considered as part of the policy going forward too. No, I mean, I've worked from home for 25 years. Right. You know, I've always been in a position where I traveled quite a bit. It didn't make sense for me to go into either downtown Chicago or now in California into LA where offices are because of the travel time, and the commute and so forth. And, you know, that world has always was very easy for me. I know how to be a good steward of the, of the organization because I've been doing that for so long, but there's just, there's a large group of people that have never done that. And it, it's a shift in, oh my God, I need paper, right? And there's like just simple things that-, that Or you I never need a printer. Have. I need a printer. I didn't even have a printer at home. <laughs> you, know, you know, things like that. But what that has done though is also, it has driven more automation. The employees now are starting to drive for that automation, right? We need these processes. We don't, you know, we don't want people driving around to drop off checks to be signed, you know? So the employees themselves now, and this whole shift of where we're working from is automatically driving the need for automation. In any pocket of, of the business where it doesn't exist. There's probably those listening here today could not say that with 100% certainty that everything, every piece of their business process has got an automation element to it. There's gonna be improvement areas all over the board. Absolutely. Um, and then actually that brings up a good point. So part of what we've been trying to work through and consult and, and understand too, just the same as Huron, right? We're together in this is, all the different pressure points of, you know, of the customers right now in the environment. So we've touched on a couple of them, but another one that I think is interesting is we talk about staffing changes that were experienced. So it goes to your automation or at least that expectation that employees would drive it. I mean, 
I would say that there has been a not, maybe a reduction in workforce, a reallocation of resources from a pro like our programs kind of slowed down for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, right? So what are you seeing with your customers dealing with, you know, basically a resource shortage as they start to get back going again? We don't have that practice. Like those practitioners don't maybe sit in those same chairs anymore. What, what are you seeing happen there? Well, I don't know if I've seen a lot of, in our particular client base, a lot of reduction of staff or reallocation of staff around their teeny programs because typically they were already optimized or we got them to a point of optimization where they didn't see that big of an impact from that perspective. But there's the flip of that. Many organizations had mass furloughs, right? Didn't matter what position you were in and so forth. But if you look at, while well, travel definitely slowed, it did not mean that expense reports slowed because we That's true. that shift to home office. So there was still that need and that requirement of supporting those efforts, but just in a different way. Um, so I, we, our own client base, we didn't see a huge loss of contacts for, for who we were working with. We actually saw the opposite. We actually saw the first few months, definitely a slope of we can't do anything. All our efforts have been switched to COVID and, and work from home efforts and so forth. But then in the last, oh, how many months are we now into this? I would say the last eight months or so, it became more of, okay, we need to do more. We actually have to start getting ready for when things do go back to normal. So it was a shift of using, again, the same resources of doing that contingency planning and getting ready for what's gonna happen next. Um, so I don't know if we're unique with our client base from that perspective because of how we work with them to begin with, or we just got lucky. I'm not sure how, how that worked out, but we saw a shift in the in how we were working with them. Okay, so maybe it's safe to say though that maybe some industry remained status quo or or there wasn't as much movement of people, but that if if you did as a client listening today, if they did experience movement and they did experience resource shifting, because I think I, I, I've heard customers, you know, not say they lose half their staff, but they're, they reallocated them to other parts of the business for the sake of continuity. And it's probably a good time to start looking at either bringing them back or looking at ways to get more efficient automation to your point, what other parts of the business process need to be paid attention to, because you are going to have to do more with less, right? So maybe customers, if you're listening and you experienced some shift that way, it's time for you to start looking at what's it going to look like? How are you going to support the volumes when it comes back up and the resources have shifted? I'm just going to call that out <laughs> to the listeners. Yeah, no, I think definitely as you bring those folks back into your fold or, or the need to is communication is going to be huge. So yeah. while typically we're considered back office, right? We're really not at this point, right? We really have to have constant communication plans, constant training plans, reviewing of the data that comes out of Concur and identifying behavioral items and determine, is that really a behavioral item or is it something that we need to look at our policy about? and identify if we have had such a shift in this area and our policy needs to be tweaked or we need to put a contingency plan in place. So I think that the usage of 
or the, the way that I would see people needing to be really focused on right now is constant communication, what those communications are going to look at. And in the past, the communication might be about compliance, right? And don't do this, don't do that. And I think now the communication shift is more of, here's what we need to do to work together. Here's yeah. the change. Um, here's why we're doing this. Yeah, right. a lot of the why, a lot of the the business reasons for decisions need to be brought to the attention of the traveler too. Because I, I remember, I don't know about you, but you get an audit flag or something would be like blocked and you'd be like, why? I don't understand. I'm just trying to do my job. So yeah, communication there is going to be key. I agree. Yeah, the whys are really important. Um, so you got the communications. And I also think that while we start to add more AI to our, our audit processes and things like that, uh -huh. we are going to take those people and start focusing more on the front end travel programs, right? Okay, so if we're continuing getting a flag, that's not just me or you, but 100 people out of 120 keep getting that same flag, we need to look at the business practice yeah. and what's happening. And is it that, yes, that really is a, a true issue? Or have we identified a shift in in our world? In their behavior. Behavior. And it is a result of a change in like the car rental. Lots of people are getting flagged probably right now because their daily allowable car rental average is probably more than what the company had set as. Right. You know? Oh yeah, no, I'm sure. But that's why that but that goes back to why the sentiment is so important, right? So if you can, if you do see those flags. This is like, if I could envision my next version too, if I could see the flags and I saw the trend operationally, I would want to know why it's happening. That's cool to, to also, it goes back to, you know, marrying that up because then you could get the explanation of why the hundred flags, why are they deciding to do the car rental? Okay. You know, is rail an option? I don't know. Different parts of the world. Rail might be more uh, conducive or, or maybe not. I don't know, but sentiment is super important there. I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of the effort of, of your employees to, or you're bringing back those resources is how do you get that information back? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, survey your employees, have some town hall meetings that say, now that we're back together and we look at traveling or bring together the top 10 travelers in the last two months and say, how are we doing? Yeah. Right. What could we what could we communicate better for those that are going to start traveling? What what do you think we missed? And this has definitely been a humbling experience for everyone. It's been a humbling experience for the traveler. And it's been a humbling experience for the travel managers to just say, what did we miss? How do we work better? And we don't want to run in a silo and be this hierarchy where we're just telling you what to do. We really want to work together and make sure that you are happy. Right. We want to keep you happy because you're an asset to the organization. You're important to us. Yeah. Well, and that goes into the, which would be the last point I was, I had left to the very end, which was the return on travel, not the return of travel, but the return on travel. So employee engagement, employee experience, positive, all of that is definitely, I would consider a part of that equation right? In terms of the return, the more productive they are on the road, the more efficient it is for them, the more they get done for the business and so on, right? Like we can all see that cycle. And then also when people do get out and about, or they're going to make a decision to go, the business is going to look at this and say, is this a healthy return for us? Is this decision 
a go or no go, right? It goes, it goes into the risk, the duty of care contingency plan, it goes into where they're going and all of that. So have you, um, and of course the cost of sale, if it's a sales event or something like that, like, is it worth traveling? At the end of the day, is it worth it? And I think a lot of our customers, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong or give me some more insight here, Kath, but like, I think return on travel ROI or ROT is mm -hmm. gonna actually be a thing. Whereas I think customers in the past have tried to correlate it to the success of a deal or overall business productivity. But now I think it's gonna be even more important. What are your thoughts about that? So I can give you a little history on this. So there was a time period, I think it was around 2008 or 10, where business travel came to a halt. And it wasn't because of a pandemic. It wasn't because of a terrorist action. It wasn't because of weather. It was because the economy was not doing so hot. And organizations were like, okay, spend, you know, T&E spend is our number two, number three dollar amount to our bottom line. So we got to control that, right? Uh -huh. And they, they ended up doing a really good job controlling that, but they did see a net result against their actual business, their actual revenue, their happiness of employees, right? So we've done this once before. And I think you're going to have those travel managers and people that have said, you know, we've done this, we can't travel. And we know how it's going to impact our business. So we need to make sure that we get back to it in a successful way. But you're absolutely right. I think they're not going to just look at it from a, did, did me traveling to that location get me that one account? Right. Right. They're not looking at it after that anymore. They're more of looking, did we represent our brand correctly? Are we mm -hmm. doing the right things in the world? Are people looking at us as an organization that takes care of their employees? So while yes, they travel, but what are they taking care of, right? So there's definitely a different sentiment, not just from the employee side, but also from the people that were working external to our organizations, and then also from a corporate perspective. Um, so I think it's definitely going to be a factor. But it's good. It's a good reminder for those when we experienced it in 08 or you know in that economic downturn that we've done this once before, maybe you look at the results of that time period and you know this is a great opportunity to look at, you know, and and shape a different outcome for what that for that return on travel benefit is to the organization. I agree. And I think, you know, it's I feel like we could probably talk for hours and we could. Like, I have like I have like 10 more topics. I, I have know. 10 more topics for you, but we can um we're gonna probably leave it to the next Marcel and Kathy session. <laughs> we can do a series. <laughs> yes, we will. It'll be actually listeners. There might be another one for me and Kathy coming up soon. But go ahead. What what were you gonna say? Uh, no, I was just gonna say, you know, in general, this has been just such a humbling experience for everyone in the industry, in the travel and expense industry, consulting firms, our clients, different organizations you know, all the way down to our own children, right? There's just been such a, a massive impact that's come out of this experience, but it's also been a joining experience. We all understand it now. We all are in this together. Yeah. We've gone through it together. There's empathy for each other. And we all know that we're going to have hiccups and it's okay. We're just figuring it out and we're bringing the best possible information to you through our research, you know, through Concur's research, our research, through our experience with our clients during this time period. But there's just such a, a unity that we've actually gone through this together. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes we lose sight of that. That's a great reminder, Kathy. 
we are in it together as probably as much as we've all heard that and the term pivot, but guess what? We are, we're moving forward and it's a new, it's a new phase. Okay, so with all of that, thank you so much for your time. And listeners, uh, you know, feel free to uh, reach out if you have questions. I think all of our contact information will be published or talk to your client executive or your, anyone on your account team. Happy to connect you with Kathy as well if you have questions for her. All right, and then I'm just gonna ask you, Kathy, any closing remarks, anything? I wish I was a witty person. Um, no, I just, you know, I just wish everyone the best through all of this. And I think as this, as we continue to work through disruptions, we're going to always come out, I think, better and stronger because of, of those disruptions, just like we do in our own personal lives when we have uh, things that we have to overcome, we always come out stronger and better. So I think that at the tail end of this, the corporations and companies that we all work for or with are going to come out stronger and better. I agree. And we're all going to be more prepared. It's time to prepare for the return of travel. This is great. Well, again, thank you, Kathy. And I'm sure, well, we'll be talking again soon on the next version of the Kathy and Marshall podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I like the sound of that. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you.